Good evening and welcome once again to our Bible study series entitled Out of Bondage into Abundance. This is a seven-part series that we are doing. And for those that might just be joining us, uh, all of the previous notes and recordings from these Bible studies are available at our website. That's new-life-ministries.org. And I would uh, strongly recommend you getting the notes so that you can follow along. Lots of scriptures we are looking at. And, of course, this is a very long series that we have undertaken. We have now come to the middle of part six. We are looking at the seven nations that Israel had to conquer in the promised land. And again, we are looking at the whole picture of Israel coming from slavery in Egypt, traveling through the wilderness, entering into the land of Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey, and then ultimately possessing that land. And we are looking at this not just as a history lesson, it is history, but more importantly, God uses Old Testament stories to project or portray a far greater spiritual truth and reality. And the scriptures in Luke 24 keep coming back to me over and over where it says Jesus used Moses, the Psalms, and the prophets and he opened the eyes and the minds of those two disciples, and he showed them things in those Old Testament books concerning himself. Well, you don't find Jesus mentioned in Genesis or Exodus or Leviticus. You don't find Jesus mentioned in the Psalms or in the Prophets. But when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes, we begin to see that all throughout the Old Testament, God was revealing bits and pieces of his eternal plan and purpose, and many of the Old Testament stories are what we would call types or shadows of Christ and his church. And this story of Israel coming out of Egypt going into the promised land, if you allow the Holy Spirit to open your eyes and give you a revelation, it is the most amazing picture of our whole spiritual journey as Christians in the New Testament. Coming out of the bondage of sin, moving into the abundant life in Christ, ultimately possessing our eternal inheritance in heaven. However, this part of the story is equally uh, applicable to our experience. There are enemies along the way. There are enemies that must be overcome. And the New Testament call is to the overcomer. Revelation 2 and 3, it's mentioned seven times. To him who overcomes, I will give such and such and such and such. So, we have enemies, we have opposition, there's evil, there's darkness, there's perversion, 
There's all kinds of antichrist stuff that stands in our way, and it must be conquered, it must be overcome. Now, in the case of the Israelites, they literally had to fight and defeat and drive out these seven nations. In our case, Paul teaches us in Ephesians 6, our warfare is not against flesh and blood. Our warfare is with spiritual entities, wickedness, darkness, evil in heavenly places, he explains in Ephesians 6. So as we look one by one at these seven nations that were living in Canaan, each one of them represents a class of spirits or darkness that you and I must overcome in our journey into the promised land. We have finished with three of them. Uh, we're going to try our best to finish with the fourth nation tonight, the Hivites. And once again reviewing, there were seven nations representing fullness or completion. The sins of the Amorites had now come to their fullness, and God's time of judgment for these seven wicked nations has finally come. God told the Israelites long ahead of time, these seven nations are stronger, more numerous, more powerful than you are. Not a very encouraging scenario, except for the fact that God also assured them, I will go before you, I will destroy them, I will go ahead of you like a devouring fire, I will send in my hornets, sting them, and drive them out of that place, and then you go in and basically mop up, clear them out, take possession of their land. Now, all of the nations except for one, they mounted their horses and got their armies together, and they knew the Israelites were coming, and they were ready for them. They came together to wage war against Joshua and the Israelites as soon as they crossed the River Jordan into the Promised Land, except for one nation. It's the one we're looking at now, the Hivites. They used a whole different strategy. They used deception. And we saw a very lengthy uh, story in Joshua 9, how they put on clothes and took moldy bread and everything to make it look like they had traveled from a long distance. And they tricked Joshua and the Israelites into doing exactly what God had warned them not to do with these seven nations, which was to make a treaty of peace with them. Well... Joshua and the Israelites made a treaty of peace with these Hivites without seeking the Lord's will and counsel. We'll talk more about that at the end tonight, but very important part of this story. Uh, the Hivites, we've been learning, represent deception, lying, hypocrisy, and any other Thing related to that type of sin. They deceived. They used trickery, and they literally dressed up like 
play actors. And we saw that's the literal meaning of hypocrisy. It's a stage player. And I know some of us on the phone or listening to this Bible study tonight have been involved in theater. I'm not talking about uh, that kind of acting. We're talking about when somebody pretends to be something that they're not in real life. Jesus talked about wolves who come in sheep's clothing. They're dressed up in a, in a costume to deceive. And so the Hivites did this elaborate play with props and costumes and everything to deceive Joshua and the leaders of Israel. And they were successful. They were successful. And the key, if you and I are not going to be deceived, is to do what Joshua did not do. He failed to seek the Lord, to inquire of the Lord. And we, in, in these last days, we are surrounded with spirits of lying, hypocrisy, deception, antichrist spirits, delusion spirits. We must be very, very careful to seek the Lord before we make decisions, listen to the Holy Spirit, be guided by the Word of God, because deception is all around us now. All right, we are looking at seven ways to overcome deception, lying, and hypocrisy. And we ended last time with point number three. Let me recap those quickly. Number one, we need to know the source of all deception, Satan. And if you're following in the outline, we are on page 116, 117, around in there. Jesus said Satan is the father of lies. He, he is the source, ultimately, of all lying and all deception. So we need to understand that. All of us have lied. We all know what it is to deceive. And we have to understand the ultimate source of all lying and deception, it came into being through Satan, the father of lies. Secondly, we need to know very clearly that lying is not just a little problem. Oh, I tell a white lie once in a while. We need to understand clearly God's decreed judgment for all liars. And this is not Old Testament. This is New Testament, the last book of the Bible. Revelation 21, verses 7 and 8, it says, All those who are victorious, all those who overcome, will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and last but not least, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. God seems to have particular disdain for liars, because of their connection with the father of lies, Satan. So that helps you and me 
to understand the seriousness of dealing with this in our own lives. The importance of truth, loving truth, telling truth, being of the truth. We, we should want to flee from anything that's associated with deception, lying, or hypocrisy because of God's judgment on such things. Thirdly, this is important, we need to believe, we need to love the truth, we need to walk in truth, and another way that that is often expressed is walking in the light. The opposite of walking in the light is walking or living in darkness, and that often implies hiding things, covering up stuff, and again, our culture, the world in which we live, sadly, is being overrun by these spirits now. Everywhere we look, every day you hear about some new scandal, cover-ups, lies, corruption, fraud. Uh, it's rampant in the culture. But we must be very careful, like it says in the book of Proverbs, to buy the truth and sell it not. I've, I've thought about that verse a lot. Buy the truth and sell it not. Well, you're not going to pay money for truth, but what it is saying is there's a price to pay. If you and I want to be people of the light, we're going to be different in the culture because just about everybody around us is lying, cheating, uh, involved in some kind of fraud or corruption. When you hear the numbers, numbers don't lie, the billions of dollars that people are stealing every year through different kinds of fraud and schemes, people defraud the government, they lie to get insurance claims, they lie to get food stamps, they lie to get welfare, fraud, fraud, fraud everywhere. And Billions of dollars are stolen now through identity theft. People pretending to be somebody they're not. Stealing your identity. Using your credit card. It's, it's lying. It's deception. It's fraud. And, you know, there's another scripture that has helped me a lot. And I use this with young people a lot. It says in Proverbs 19.22, some of these verses are not in the outline. They came to me just as I was in prayer tonight. Proverbs 19.22 says, It is better to be poor than a liar. I like that. It is better to be poor than a liar. In other words, if you've got to lie to get something, it would be better to do without it. Just keep your integrity, be honest, rather than lie to get something. And, you know, as a, as a school teacher, from time to time, I have to deal with cheating. And one of the first things I'll tell a student is, you know, it's better to get an F on your test than to cheat and get an A. It's better to be poor, better to get an F than to get something by lying. Because remember, all lies come from the father of lies, and all liars will have their place in the lake of burning 
fire and sulfur. So it's, it's better. If you've got to lie to get something, it's better to do without it. And again, millions of people, they lie to defraud the government, to defraud their employer, to defraud their fellow man. It's really sad. It's really sad. And there's a great challenge for you and me if we want to rise above all that and be men and women of integrity, people who live by honesty and truth. Buy the truth. Don't sell it. Love the truth at any cost. And there's a day coming, and I, I talk about this quite often, there's a day coming soon after the church is evacuated in the rapture where this entire earth, every inhabitant on the face of the earth, will be under a strong delusion. Satan, in the person of the Antichrist or the beast, we are told in Revelation 13, he's going to deceive all the inhabitants of the earth. Anyone who refuses to come under that deception during that time, they will have to die as martyrs. They will be put to death if they refuse to take the mark of the beast. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul is pointing toward that day when he writes to the Thessalonians, the coming of the lawless one, that's the Antichrist, will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. Notice that. Some of the translations call them lying signs and wonders. He will perform miracles, but they will be deceptive in nature. They will serve the lie. They will not be genuine, true miracles of God. And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish, and this is important, because they refused to love the truth. One of the things I see happening in the world today and in our culture, more and more there's a spirit that is coming over people. They don't want to hear the truth. They have no love for the truth. Even when the truth is presented to them, they mock it, they reject it, and they would rather believe a lie. And that's exactly what Paul says is going to be happening in these last days. They perish because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. Believe the lie. And so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. You know, ultimately, there are two groups. There's the saved, and there are the condemned, the lost. Paul puts it very simply. Those who believe truth, they will be saved. Those who reject truth, they end up believing a lie, and they are condemned. They will not be saved. So this thing of truth and error, truth and deception, it's very, very serious. It's the very foundation of salvation. 
Now, let's move on to point number four tonight. This we're referring to as trusting in the Holy Spirit. Trust in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. That's why you and I need to be filled with the Spirit. We need to be led by the Spirit. We need to walk in the Spirit. Everything about the Holy Spirit is truth. And so when the Holy Spirit comes into us to live inside of us, He begins to attack and come against anything that is not of the truth. He begins to deal with deception, lies, white lies, hypocrisy, pretension, and anything that is not rooted and grounded in truth. Listen to a couple of the verses from the Gospel of John where Jesus speaks about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. John 16 and verse 13. When He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. I pray that verse all the time. God, fill us with Your Spirit. Let the Spirit of truth guide us into all truth. Well, if He's come to guide us into all truth, then it is certainly implied He's going to guide us away from all lies. He's going to deliver us from every deception, anything which is not of the truth. And knowing how easy it is for us to be deceived Jeremiah hit the nail on the head. He said the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately wicked. The worst form of deception is self-deception. I can deceive myself. And so we must pray earnestly every day, God, open my eyes. Don't let me be deceived. Don't let me live and walk in darkness. Guide me into all truth. Cause me to love the truth, to desire the truth, to believe the truth. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He is the Spirit of truth. Look also in John 15, verse 26. I'm going to read this from the Amplified Version. But when the Comforter, the Counselor, the Helper, the Advocate, the Intercessor, the Strengthener, the Standby comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who comes, proceeds from the Father, He Himself will testify regarding Me. God is called in the Bible the God of truth. Jesus, in John 14, 6, is the truth. And here, again, we're told, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. Everything about the Godhead is truth. God of truth, Spirit of truth, way the truth and the life. In John's epistle, 1 John chapter 4, 
Let's read from verse 1 to 6. John talks a lot about light and darkness, truth and error, Christ, Antichrist. He, he likes to show these opposites. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. Please note that carefully. The Antichrist has not yet come, the one that we just read about in 2 Thessalonians 2. But there are many spirits of Antichrist already in the world, and there are actually many Antichrists also. Verse 4, You, dear children, are from God, and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world, and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of of falsehood. You know, there are a lot of people who are not going to listen to us. There are a lot of people I know don't listen to me. And John puts it rather bluntly. If they don't hear us, if they're not listening to us, then they're not of God. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not Listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Much more on that, but I think you get the picture. We need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will help us to discern truth from error, right from wrong. The Holy Spirit will convict us when we give room to lies, deceptions, pretensions, things that are not of the truth, because his mission is to guide us into all truth. And that should be our desire. We should want to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in that mission. All right, moving on. Point number five. Be real. And this is an important point. Be real. Don't pretend... Be honest and sincere. No disguises, no masks. Remember, that's what hypocrisy is. It may not be literally putting on a mask or a costume, but we're pretending to be something we're not. We're covering up our real identity. This point, we're going to make it short. We're only going to look at a couple of scriptures, but um, 
you can do further research on your own. There, there's a lot in the Bible about this one, but I think these few scriptures will be sufficient for us to understand the point. Jesus in John 14:6, I just quoted it earlier. He said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me or through me." Truth represents reality. Anything that's not reality is not truth. And sometimes I like to replace the word truth with reality. Well, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of reality. So when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, He's going to start teaching you how to be real, not to be fake, not to pretend, to be honest, to be open, to be sincere, to be transparent. And... Jesus is the way, the reality, and the life. So, the more I want to embrace Jesus, the more I want to be like Jesus, the more I need to embrace reality. Alright, with that as a foundation, let's look at a couple of scriptures. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13 to 15. Already in Paul's day, there was a proliferation of false teachers, false pastors, false apostles, false Christian workers. They had many, many of them in the early church. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising, then, if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. Remember, the scripture is not in your outline, but in Matthew 7, Jesus warned against false prophets. And what did he say? They're going to come in sheep's clothing, but they are actually wolves, devouring wolves. Well, that's what this word means, masquerading. Such people are false apostles, deceitful, they deceive, masquerading as apostles of Christ. New American Standard translates that disguising themselves. So they wear masks, they wear costumes, they wear disguises, they put on sheep's clothing to disguise who they really are. These are really devouring wolves. They're not shepherds. They don't care for the sheep. They've come to eat the sheep. They're false, they're deceitful, and they masquerade or disguise. And notice here how Paul connects the activities of these false, deceitful workers 
with Satan, the father of lies or deception. He says in verse 14, No wonder, no wonder that these guys are doing this, for Satan himself does it. Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. You know, I think we all understand, Satan doesn't come uh, with a big red pitchfork and horns and say, Hi, I'm the devil. I'm here to kill, destroy, and deceive. No, that's not his strategy. He masquerades himself as an angel, an angel of light. But behind the mask, behind the disguise, is one who has come to kill, steal, and destroy. We, of course, get the word mask from masquerade. They wear masks. So, if we want to overcome this spirit of hypocrisy, lies, deception, we've got to be ready to take off all the masks. Be real. Stop pretending to be somebody or something that we're not. Be honest. Be sincere. And it starts in our relationship with God. That's what confession is all about. When we confess our sins to God, we're basically taking off all of our masks and saying, Lord, this is who I really am. I'm a liar, I'm a cheat, I'm proud, I'm arrogant, I'm selfish. Here I am. Cleanse me. Save me. Deliver me. Change me. I don't want to be like this anymore, but this is the real me. Look also, while we're here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this was Paul's own testimony. He practiced this in his own ministry. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 2. He says, Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. You know, it makes me absolutely want to vomit when I see ministers using deception, using trickery, uh, resorting to these secret, shameful tactics, and it's always for one end. It's to get money out of the people. And we did a long uh, study this past year on Second Peter. And the whole second chapter of Second Peter talks about these fellows. False teachers, false prophets, false leaders. Uh, the churches are still under siege by these types. They're on radio. They're on TV. You can pick them out real fast if you have a spirit of discernment in your life. And Paul was very careful not to use any deception, not to in any way distort the word of God to his own ends, you know, these tearful pleas, oh, send in your hundred dollars and we'll pray over it and it's going to multiply to a thousand. He didn't resort to any of that foolishness. And I'm sorry if I'm 
being a little harsh about this, but I am sick and tired of seeing this stuff going on in Christendom. It's on the Christian TV, it's on the Christian radio, and we need to call a spade a spade. We need to point it out when we see it and say, no, that's wrong. And Paul was very careful. He had renounced all that stuff. He didn't want to use games and tricks in his presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He did not want to distort the word of God. Notice what he says. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience. And here's the key. In the sight of God. In the sight of God. You know, when you understand that God has x-ray vision, he can see right through the costumes, the masks, the pretensions, the distortions, then it helps us to start to peel off all that nonsense and just be real. And as you and I develop a life of walking in the sight of God, it doesn't matter who's watching. Maybe nobody's around. Nobody, nobody's, nobody around sees what's going on, but God sees. And if you're living your life in the sight of God, then you will commend yourself to everyone else's conscience also, that you are setting forth the truth plainly in your life. <clears throat> you know, 1 Peter 1, verse 7 it talks about the process that God is taking us through, through trials, through tests. It's ultimately to produce what's called genuine or unfeigned faith. Feign means to fake. You know, the, the nature of the church, sadly, we create an environment where it's very easy to culture things like hypocrisy, being fake, and not being real. And we need to fight against that. We need to try with all our might to create in our churches an environment, an atmosphere of honesty, of transparency, and the, the leaders bear a lot of the responsibility. If the leaders are fake, and they stand up every Sunday in their three-piece suit and lead everybody to believe that they're living a perfect life, they're holy, their kids are holy, their whole family is on fire for God, and everything is great, when everybody knows it isn't, we create an atmosphere in the church for everyone else to be a fake, to start pretending to be a hypocrite. And so it starts at the top. We need to be real. We need to be honest. We need to stop pretending. And, you know, Paul, he was the greatest apostle that the church ever had. And yet if you read through his letters, he's very open about his own weaknesses He's very honest and very sincere about the fact that he considered himself 
to be the chief of sinners, not the chief of apostles. And, you know, this, this point five, I could have put many more scriptures here, but I think you get the point. God is a God of truth. He wants us to be real. The, the Pharisees, uh, the Sadducees, and we're going to get into this even more in the next point, they were experts in hypocrisy. And Jesus railed against them like nothing else. He never railed against tax collectors or adulterers the way he did against the religious hypocrites. God hates this feigned faith, this feigned spirituality, this fakey, oh, I'm so close to God, angels are flying all around my head. And you know the person's living like a devil. And in my 41 years, trust me, I've had some up-close and personal experiences with some real uh, false prophets, false teachers who led you to believe that, man, they were on top of Mount Zion, full of the anointing, full of God, walking so close to the Lord you can't get any closer. And then when the curtains are pulled back, you find out the filth and the immorality, the, the greed that these people were living in and consumed by. It's scary. It's scary to even try to understand how a person can reach that level of deception where they themselves are deceived. Deceiving and being deceived, Paul says. The antidote is humble yourself, confess your sins before God, be honest, be sincere, get rid of the masks and the disguises. What you see is what you get. This is the real me. Okay? No more faking, no more pretending. Alright, let's move on because this one is closely related to point number five, but I've separated it out. Point number six, this is straight out of Scripture, put off all hypocrisy and deceit. Just like you would take off a dirty garment and put it in the laundry hamper, put it off. Get it, get it off of you. Get rid of it. Put off all hypocrisy and deceit. 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He says, Therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Get rid of all deceit and all hypocrisy. You know, I think God would move in much greater power, in much greater ways in our churches, if we would start doing this. Just come together and be real, and not try to fake anything, not try to pretend anything. You know, I always appreciate 
a brother or a sister who's honest, who's sincere. Maybe you walk into church and you say, Hey, brother, how are you doing? And rather than saying, Oh, I'm, I'm doing great. I'm on fire in victory, brother. Instead of that, they look you in the eye and they say, You know, I'm not really doing that well. I need prayer. I appreciate that. I appreciate when somebody's honest and sincere. We, we could use a lot more of that in our churches. Peter says, Get rid of it. Get rid of deceit. Get rid of hypocrisy. And especially, any of us who are involved in any kind of leadership, whether it's a Sunday school teacher, whether we're a pastor, a parent, a school teacher, this is especially important. Get rid of deceit. Get rid of hypocrisy. Be real with the people that you teach and the people that you lead. Ephesians 4 tells us something similar. Ephesians 4, verses 22 to 25. Paul says, You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Here again, get rid of it. Put off that old life. Put off that old self which was corrupted by deceitful desires. I especially like uh, verse 24. Put on the new self, created to be like God, and he doesn't say in righteousness and holiness. He adds the adjective true. To be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The Pharisees had a lot of righteousness. They had a lot of holiness. It was all fake. Jesus rebuked them repeatedly. You're like whitewashed tombs. You look all pretty on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones, stinking of death, full of extortion, greed, and all kinds of other sins. So it wasn't true righteousness and holiness. We need to ask God to help us get rid of the old self that's corrupt, deceitful, and put on the new self that is created to be like God. It's true righteousness. It's real holiness, not fake holiness. True righteousness and holiness. How? Each of you must put off falsehood, and speak truthfully to your neighbor. You know, over the years, I'm amazed how many times God ha has had to deal with me on this. And to my own shame, even to this day, sometimes I catch myself about to tell a lie, about to do something that's 
deceptive or or covering over something and the Holy Spirit will catch me and it's like, what are you doing? You're about to deceive. You're about to lie. And we all have that in us. Paul knew that. That's why he says, put it off. We all end up with dirty clothes. We've got to take off the dirty clothes and put on clean ones. No condemnation. Just get rid of the old stuff. Put off falsehood. Speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. You know, I have a student that I've had for three years now. And literally two years ago, I felt very strongly, and I had no direct proof of this, but it was a discernment from the Holy Spirit. I felt very strongly that this particular student was cheating. And I I felt as we came to the end of that school year and they took their final exam, she got a very high grade, and I felt she cheated. And I mentioned it to the principal, and because we didn't really have any evidence, we just kind of left it there. Well, last school year, there were several incidents where other students began to suspect that this particular student was cheating and even began to report things to the teacher and eventually the whole matter came before the principal and I got called into several of these meetings, even with the parents. And I was very clear with the parents, with the principal, and with the student that the previous year I felt that the Holy Spirit had shown me clearly that this student was cheating. And right there in front of the parents and the teacher and several of the other accusers and the principal, the student continued to lie and deny that there had been any cheating. Well, how's that make me look? I'm supposed to be a pastor, and I'm saying... Holy Spirit told me, you're a liar. And she's bold-faced, looking me in the eye, looking the parents and the uh, principal in the eye, saying, no, I'm not. Well, we backed off, and the school year ended. Right after the meeting, I went to the principal again, and I said, I'm going on the record. I still believe she's lying. Well, summer vacation came. And just before we started this school year, the principal had a re-enrollment meeting with the student and with her parents. And she finally broke and confessed that all along she had been cheating, lying, deceiving, and finally was able to confess it receive forgiveness, and move on. And I'm quite confident that that has come to an end now. Praise God. Praise God. But sometimes, you know, we're a little slow to respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, even when others start to accuse us and try to point out 
certain things in our life, sometimes we're a little slow to acknowledge that. But ultimately, Paul's counsel is the best. Put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we're all members of one body. We're all a part of a community. We're a part of the community of faith. And our whole community breaks apart if we can't be honest, if we can't speak truthfully one to another. Okay, let's move on, because I want to finish with these guys tonight. I want to finish with the Hivites. 1 Corinthians 5, we're almost there, verses 7 and 8. Paul says, get rid of the old yeast, so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as you really are. He's speaking in the terms of Exodus 12, the Passover. For indeed, he's connecting the Passover in Egypt with the real Passover, Christ Jesus. Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch. They had to get rid of all the leaven, all the yeast, before they partook of the Passover. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us, he's talking to Christians now, not Jews in Egypt, Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread, leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Wow! Where did he get all that? This is a perfect example of the Holy Spirit opening up the Old Testament scriptures, to see that behind that truth, there's a far greater spiritual reality. In the Old Testament, they literally had to get rid of the yeast and eat unleavened bread. It was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Paul, with revelation by the Holy Spirit, he says the yeast actually stands for or represents malice and wickedness, and unleavened bread, which you must partake of when eating the Passover, unleavened bread represents sincerity and truth. Putting all that together, what I hear Paul teaching the church, if you want to partake of Christ, you better get rid of all the hypocrisy. You and I need to come to him in sincerity. No more games, no more masks, no more cover-up. This is the real me, Jesus. I'm confessing my sins. I'm coming to you in true repentance, sincere heart. That's what God loves. He loves sincerity and truth then we can partake of the Passover, and that's what it means to get rid of the yeast. All right, finally, point number seven. These are different forms of lying and deception, but I'm just trying to show the whole spectrum of things that it might involve. Point number seven, don't exploit or manipulate others 
through flattery or exaggeration. I already mentioned ministers are famous for doing this. They get on the radio, they get on the TV, they send out these expensive mailings every week. My God, my mailbox is full of garbage every week from these guys. Don't exploit or manipulate others through flattery or through exaggeration. Now, this may come as a shock to some. Flattery is lying. You're not being nice to the person. You're lying. Exaggeration is lying. Exaggerating a testimony is lying. If you laid hands on one person and they got healed, and you come back and say, oh, 10 or 20 people got healed when I laid hands on them, you're a liar. You're a liar. And God has dealt with me about exaggerating, even in testimonies. And when I wrote my book over the summer, which is full of stories and testimonies, I was very, very careful to go back over every single story and make sure nothing was being exaggerated. God doesn't need our help. We don't have to inflate the stories of his miracles. They're great enough as they are. We don't have to try to add anything to them. But, you know, it's sad when you see these ministers make up stories, exaggerate their ministries, and even try to manipulate the listeners or the readers. Don't do that. Don't try to exploit other people, manipulate other people, because you're resorting to deception. And remember, Satan is the father of all deception, all lies. All right, let's look at a couple of these. Second Peter 2, I mentioned this chapter. The whole chapter talks about false teachers, false pastors, false leaders. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. Fabricated stories, made-up tales, exaggerated testimonies. Why? To exploit people, to manipulate unsuspecting people. Romans 16, verses 17 and 18. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk, and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Watch out for them, Paul says. You can tell them why they use smooth talk and flattery to deceive the minds of naive people. But they're basically all about themselves. They're not serving Christ they're serving their own agendas, their own appetites. Two more verses and we're done. 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 to 6. 
Paul is talking about his own ministry, the testimony that he and the other apostles walking with him maintain. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. Notice how careful Paul was to avoid falling into the trap of the false teachers and the false apostles. The appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. We have to be very careful in our teaching, in our preaching, in our ministering to others. We're not trying to manipulate their emotions. We're not trying to trick them into anything. We present the truth to them and then let them choose. Either you repent and believe in Christ, or you reject Him and you're going to hell. We don't try to trick people into choosing Christ. And we don't use flattery. Verse 5. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask. There's that word again, mask. The false apostles put on masks. Nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. There's the key. God is our witness. Here again, Paul was living out his life in the sight of God. God is watching us. God is the witness of our ministry. He knows what we're doing. Finally, Jude 16. Jude also talks about false teachers and false prophets. He says these people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires, they boast about themselves, and flatter others for their own advantage. Again, flattery, exaggeration, fabricated stories, even if you're using them to quote, get people to accept Christ, it's all lying. God never asks you and me to use manipulation, flattery, lying, tricks, exaggeration to try to get people into the kingdom of God. Those who are coming into the kingdom are coming because they love and believe the truth. We must be very careful, like Paul, to avoid anything impure, anything deceptive, any kinds of tricks to bring people into the church. That's a, that's a powerful testimony that Paul had. We never used flattery. We never put on a mask 
to cover up greed. To bring this to a close, there are two sides to this coin. And I mentioned in Timothy, Paul connects them together, and he says, there will be false leaders in these last days who are deceiving and being deceived. Those are the two two sides of the coin. Deceiving and being deceived. We must be careful that we're not being deceived. That's what we've been talking about tonight. We need the truth, the word of truth. We need the spirit of truth. We need to be very careful to reject any kinds of lies or deceptions, lest we become deceived. And as a person comes under deception, it's only natural that they begin to deceive others through lies, made-up stories, hypocrisy, pretending, faking to be something that they're not. Remember, Joshua and the leaders of Israel were tricked by these Hivites simply because they did not inquire of the Lord. If you have the Holy Spirit, and as you mature in your Christian life, you're going to become more and more sensitive to the invisible, the spiritual realm. And you will be in situations where everything looks good, but in your spirit something's telling you this isn't right. This is fishy. You need to pay close attention to that. That's called discernment. And you need to go to the Lord in prayer. Not Don't be like Joshua and you're ready with the pen to sign a treaty. If you feel troubled in your spirit, go to God in prayer and say, Lord, why do I not feel peace about this? God will reveal it to you. And remember, Jesus said, not a few, there are going to be many false prophets coming to you in sheep's clothing. They look like sheep, smell like sheep. They even talk pretty much like sheep. But again, if you're listening to the Holy Spirit, something's not right. And the Holy Spirit is saying, there's a wolf inside. There's a wolf inside. We need that kind of discernment in these last days, because the earth is being flooded with deception. We have credit card fraud. We have liars at every level in the government. People are cheating and lying on their taxes. Uh, You know, you hear so many things every week now in the news. Car manufacturers are deceiving and lying about their product. Um, Credit card information is being stolen and thieves are using your credit card to buy themselves nice vacations and, and all this. Credit card fraud, lying, corruption, it's everywhere. But more importantly, we must be on our guard. Paul warned the Ephesian elders three years, night and day with tears, that after he left, wolves were going to come in and try to devour the sheep. Well, they come in sheep's clothing. So we need to have leaders who are on the walls, watching, praying, 
who can discern these things when they come. Sheep in, I'm sorry, wolves in sheep's clothing. We can't go by appearances. We have to be inquiring of the Lord. Joshua and the leaders were fooled by the outward appearance of the Hivites. Had they prayed, had they inquired of the Lord, surely God would have said, do not make a treaty with them. They are trying to deceive you. Let's pray tonight that the Holy Spirit of truth will lead us and guide us into all truth, that God will give each and every one of us a love for the truth, that we will reject every form of lying, deception, pretension, hypocrisy, exaggeration, flattery, whatever it's called, reject anything that is not of the truth. Father God, I thank you tonight for the word of truth. I thank you for the spirit of truth. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And God, it is your desire to guide us into all truth. Lord, we know that Satan is very active in the world today. The Antichrist is coming soon, and there are already many Antichrists in the world. The spirit of Antichrist is very active at every level in our society. Help us, O oh God, to be discerning, to be inquiring of you, to be listening to the Holy Spirit, and Lord, that your word, the word of truth, would fill our hearts and minds. The word of Christ would dwell in us richly. Father, I pray for each and every one listening tonight, those that may be listening to the recordings later on. God, deliver us from every error, deliver us from every lie of the enemy, every false doctrine, every deception. Deliver us from anything that is not of your truth, and lead us and guide us into all truth. Oh God, in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen and amen.